Who's Bekistan? Where's Bekistan? Why's Bekistan? How's Bekistan? Bekistan, who's Bekistan? What's going good and what's going bad? And she's live from Tashkent, Uzbekistan, in the heart of Central Asia. Welcome to episode 15 of Uzbekistan, coming at you live from Tashkent, Uzbekistan, in the heart of Central Asia. Um, got some moderate temperatures today. The sun is out, thank goodness. And the la- we had some snow this week. That is still melting off. And as much as I complain about the weather and the snow, I mean, it actually is beautiful to look at. I, I will probably miss the fact... Um, if I live somewhere where it doesn't snow again. I've heard in my hometown there has been not a flake of snow this year. So, um, yeah, I tried to appreciate the snow as long as it does not uh, impact any of my travel plans in any way. Okay, jumping right into it. What am I excited about? What am I puzzled about? How long will I stay? Um, I am excited about... So, um... I I don't know how much I've said about this in the past, but, you know, Tashkent was the recipient of a huge number of Russians this fall and uh, who are avoiding the uh, conscription conscription in Russia. And, you know, um, yeah, just, you know, just... I've, I've tried to get any kind of an estimate on a number... Somebody recently told me the number 400,000 came, but but now not all of those stayed. And then it split the people who came and stayed and the people who just used this as a transit point to get to where they were going. So I don't, I, I don't have an accurate number other than the word a lot. So um, it made a, a visual difference in downtown Tashkent. And here at the hotel where I live... There are two draft dodgers, and then I know a few other ones from in town, and, you know, occasionally I meet some out at the cafe or, you know, something like that, Um, because, in general, the draft dodgers I've all met um, speak English, so, you know, they're very, very accessible to me. Most of them are IT guys who had jobs they could do remotely, um... Yeah, like, de- definitely the educated class. Um, I don't know if that's all of them, but that was, that, that's that been my impression so far, is that it's pretty, it was, you know, it, yeah, it was, it was upper middle class educated um, people who came. Initially, I thought it was young men and middle-aged men, but at some point I figured out that's not accurate. It, it is a lot of men, but it's also a lot of couples and a lot of young families who all said, you know, we, we're, we're going to get out together. So I could go on and on about more of that in uh, future episodes. But, um, but, but being around, you know, being around these people who have all um, left their home with a bag, you know, the lucky ones got to come on an airplane the halfway lucky ones got to come on a train, and the unlucky ones had to come on a bus. Um, uh, one friend of mine who's from the Ural Mountains, I mean, he was on the bus for two days coming through Kazakhstan and, you know, said it was just hell and, you know, was so grateful when he got here. 
So as I have, you know, the two gentlemen at the hotel, my other friend from in town, other random people I meet in town, um, maybe excited is not the exact word for it, but I do recognize that it feels good to be helpful and supportive and nurturing to these people. So yesterday I was eating at the cafe, and it was crowded, and so uh, one of these young men sat down and shared the table with me. And, I, you know, I didn't, I, I, I didn't know who he was or what he was. But anyway, but as it turns out, he is ac- actually a Russian Jew. He's Jewish. Um, guy who had, you know, who had fled here and works for an American company. So, you know, actually, you know, spoke fantastic English and I had a nice conversation with him. He shared with me that he had only been speaking English since March. That, you know, he had studied it in school, but had never used it. But boy, he was able to carry on a, a perfectly fine conversation with me. And so I heard a little bit about his story and um, had came, come, I can't remember where he went first. Maybe to Turkey that ended up here, was here a few months, then went to Dubai. I'm not sure why. I mean, ended up back here. But he is in transit in the next few days. He's going to Israel because that's who, you know, could have a repatriation agreement because of him being Jewish. And, yeah, anytime I've I've been in conversation with any of these people, you know, I just try to, you know, ask them their story and, you know, be supportive and, and nurturing and encouraging because they're either a here alone, or or here without their without their extended family. I mean, maybe they're here with their spouse, or maybe they're here with their spouse and their child. But they're still alone here as a family, and that is one of those experiences. I wouldn't have anything like that, you know, if I were living at home, and just you know, try to be supportive and nurturing to some people who need some support and some nurturing. And and most of them seem generally okay here. They laugh about that they think Tashkent is a village rather than a city because a lot of them are from Moscow and St. Petersburg. Um, I always ask them, do you think Tashkent is a city or do you think it's a village? Um, And I've gotten some funny answers. Some people say it's a town. Some people say it's a village. Some people say, well, downtown feels like a city, but that's very small. Most of Tashkent feels like the village. So I will remind my listeners that uh, Tashkent is a city of three million people. Though they are not wrong that there's, you know, sort of downtown Tashkent, which is not really what we think of as a downtown, but the city center. That, that, that area actually is quite small, and once you are outside of that, you know, area, it's very undeveloped and just slum after slum of apartment buildings and, and little bodegas. Um, I, I sort of estimate like, estimate like what I think of as Tashkent, the nice part of Tashkent, is probably like one mile by three miles. And that may be a little bit generous. It may actually be smaller than that, but just sort of as a loose 
work. You can walk it, um, you know, kind of as a loose working estimate. So, yes, I'm excited to support um, the people avoiding the war. What am I puzzled by? I am puzzled by the word engaging and engagement. You know, this word is used a lot in teaching, and I think that there is a miscommunication about what people hear, even some some foreigners, not necessarily Westerners, but, but other foreigners in education. Um, I'm trying not to give away whom I'm referring to. Um, what, what that is defined as engaging and what I define as engagement, I don't think we're talking about the same thing. So... I think when the people who I cannot name are saying classes should be engaging, I think what they mean by that is the teacher should be a clown at the front of the room so the students are entertained. Entertained. Um, You know, be be funny and dynamic and, (coughs) and sit there and have a conversation you know, they use, like, debate. Okay, my definition of debate and their definition of debate is actually also different. They're into letting the students sit around and chat. If And, and you know how it is when you're a teacher. Well, it's not everybody. You'll get one or two students who will participate. And, that, yeah, you're, you're, you know, that student has a chance to talk and, and yeah, students are sharing. Students meaning student. And that that's engaging. That the teacher's a clown and the students can, quote, debate. But really that means sit there and chat. And that is not my definition of those words. My definition of engagement is that students are doing something they have been given a task and asked to complete it that they are all participating and so maybe that's you know some kind of i'm into these visible thinking routines for any teachers out there listening um yeah that there's something they've got to produce you know either alone or with a group or with a partner and then kind of share back or given some kind of problem to solve. But the students should be the people working, not just listening. Listening is not working. Doing is working. That is my definition of engagement, is that there are activities for students to do. Um, and you know, can be criticized for, you know, sounding too babyish or something like that, like using name tags to ensure that I've called on everyone and that everyone participates. Well, you said you wanted engagement, so I've given everybody an opportunity to be engaged rather than just letting one student sit there and dominate the conversation. Um, yeah. Um, similarly, I'm... I'm I'm confused by the the phrase, it's the student's choice. It's the student's choice to attend class or not. 
It's the student's choice if they want to play in the hallway for 30 minutes during the middle of class. It's the student's choice if they want to sit there and play on their phone. It's the student's choice if they want to not do anything. It's the student's choice if they want to sit there and talk to their boyfriend and girlfriend while we're sitting there in class, of which I have one class with three couples, and it's a problem. And I just do not understand that mentality at all. No, you paid to be a student there, or you were given a scholarship. And that was your choice. Your choice was to come there. And, you know, if you choose not to participate in that, then you we can't, we, we can't get that momentum and that critical mass and to be pinging off of each other and that, that everyone there is valuable. I'm Vygotsky. Learning happens through social interaction. We need to be there together. The other students need to hear the ideas from the other students so they can grow and expand on those. Learning doesn't happen in isolation. Learning doesn't happen in a bubble. Learning happens with each other sharing. And maybe you read it and you got one thing out of it. Maybe I read it, I got something else out of it. But as we talked about it, we both could could benefit from hearing each other's experience. That's engagement. And yeah, a choice. I just don't I just don't get that. I don't I don't I don't know where that's coming from. Is that a holdover of some kind of Soviet communist thinking? I don't know. I feel a little bad even saying that out loud. Or is that some new age foo-foo of students aren't required to do anything? Is that is that where that's coming from? Because that's something modern and trendy that we don't make the students work, that that's too old school. I don't know. I'll quit rambling, but I'll just sum up to say that my definition of engagement and other definitions of engagement I am exposed to are different. And that my teaching philosophy is not, well, the students have a choice to participate or not. Um, So those are definitely some things I am puzzled about. In conclusion, how long will I stay? I did not know that this question was going to get this complicated this fast. But it has. So I'm trying to give the semester a few weeks, see how it goes, and um, we'll be feeling that out over the coming weeks. Whoever you are, wherever you are, thank you for listening and checking in with Uzbekistan, available on all podcasting platforms. Okay, over and out.